This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Beyond Zero Emissions Community Show, and Salut Babette! I've got Kurt Johnson with me in the studio, and we have six live guests. My name is Vivian Langford. The aim of our show is countercultural. Whereas the main media gives us the frightening facts about climate change and the occasional feel-good story like the convoy of hay to drought-stunned New South Wales farmers, we show what climate action and climate thinking is actually alike and what is going on in our community. But first I'd like to talk with Kurt about what is not happening. Here is Greta Thunberg at the Davos Economics Forum in Switzerland. Some people say that we are not doing enough to fight climate change, but that is not true, because to not do enough, you have to do something. And the truth is, we are basically not doing anything. And yes, some people are doing more than they can, but they are too few and too far from power to make a difference today. Some people say that the climate crisis is something that we all have created, but that is just another convenient lie. Because if everyone is guilty, then no one is to blame. And someone is to blame. Some people, some companies and some decision makers in particular has known exactly what prices values they are sacrificing to continue making unimaginable amounts of money. I want to challenge those companies and those decision makers into real and bold climate action to set their economic goals aside and to safeguard the future living conditions for humankind. I don't believe for one second that you will rise to that challenge, but I want to ask you all the same. I ask you to prove me wrong. For the sake of your children, for the sake of your grandchildren, for the sake of life and this beautiful living planet, I ask you to stand on the right side of history. I ask you to pledge to do everything in your power, to push your own business or government in line with a 1.5 degree world. Will you pledge to do that? Will you pledge to join me and the people all around the world in doing whatever it takes? So that was a very young girl, 15-year-old Greta Thunberg from Sweden, and she was at Davos, and I was watching these YouTubes from Davos and also from Katowice in Poland. There were lots of panels called Scientists Warming, and I felt like I was among friends with these people, and yet I'd go out over Christmas holidays and at the beach and everywhere with all my other, my real friends, and... They didn't want to talk about climate. They just don't want to. They're not climate denialists, but they don't want to talk about it. Meanwhile, nature is booming out a message in biblical tones like fire, flood, pestilence. You know, you can't miss it. It's happening tonight as we're just talking. People are being evacuated in Townsville and taken to higher ground. So, Kurt, I want to know what your experience has been over the holidays and talking to your friends. Do you think they know we're in an emergency or they just don't want to know? I think it makes a lot of people feel quite uncomfortable and they might feel uncomfortable because they feel, first of all, because it's bad news, but also there's an aspect of guilt associated with it um, because 
many people feel complicit. Um, I remember that we had our uh, in in that film our power, and we had the director on our show, and we'll have him again next week. Um, Ron Ibsen, who was a former worker of um, Yulon Power Station, and he described the mindset of coal workers. Uh, not being able, not being interested in being able to accept climate change. And he said, you can't tell someone they are killing their kids, they won't accept it. And we've been told that if you drive a car, if you have an air conditioner, if you fly on holidays, then you're part of the problem, and you are, but people just don't want to hear it. Yeah, I think that complicity, we have to get over it, but we are at the moment at that stage. The other theme I was thinking about was political change. We're facing an election in New South Wales soon and probably in May a federal election. And the main media is all around that. They're all focusing on the election and what's on offer. But culturally, I see many people just disillusioned with democracy, walking right away from it and independence coming up, appealing to them with climate. So it might even be a climate election. But other people, for example, in Sweden are walking away in different ways. They're doing no flying, stay on the ground. And the Sustainable Living Festival has a a session on that about um, plain stupid, P-L-A-N-E's, plain stupid, and asking people to stay on the ground where possible. Um, But... I want to come back to that Greta Thunberg. She told the United Nations, you are destroying even the biosphere so rich people can live in luxury. And I wonder, Kurt, do you think Mm. among your friends, I know among my friends, nobody thinks they're living in luxury. They wouldn't describe the life we have as luxury. And I think that's the problem. We don't even enjoy it particularly. (laughs) I don't know know if it's luxury so much as unrestrained and that restraint, now in terms of your lifestyle and your traveling on planes and that sort of thing has become an alien concept and i think that our economic system is tuned to the drive to consume but also with social media to conspicuously consume oh. is how is a way that you define yourself and i don't think that that's left any room for restraint no, restraint isn't an austerity. They're not popular words and living simply. No. But I think we're going to have with our guests in here a lot of the people who know a lot about that, so let's get on to them. Um, we're going to talk mainly about the Sustainable Living Festival tonight and the big weekend down by the Yarra, just near Fed Square, starts next Friday with the great debate. Uh, the first person we're going to talk to is Belina Raffi, and she is the director of Sustainable Stand-Up, um, and she's here with two other comedians to talk about their four shows at the Butterfly Club. So, Belina, welcome. Uh, tell us how you got, how you get serious people like NASA climate scientists to engage us in a different way. Oh, fabulous. Well, thank you so much for having us here. Um, <clears throat> there's a few pieces to it. One is, is I just noticed that some of the ways that people were talking about the urgency of this stuff did exactly what you said of, of kind of having the effect of people backing away, not wanting to engage with it. And I thought, what what's mine to do in this space? How can I help bring compassion and connection and empathy in a place where they start to connect and then start to think about changing their behavior? Um, so uh, I had been working with uh, climate adaptation people and disaster risk reduction on how do we use improvisation as a way to um, deal with complex adaptive systems to engage other people. But I saw that there was a piece missing, that we needed a technology to find lightness because a lot of the people that we care about are burning out because they're looking at this stuff every day. So I uh, I created this course uh, that's called Sustainable Stand-Up. It's a really compassionate form of stand-up comedy. And um, in it were 
we're finding the tangential things that are silly about the systems that we've created. We've made it so hard to make the world a better place <laughs> through the systems that we've created. So what we do is, is try to get people in the state of, I love myself, I love the audience, this is silly. Um, and, and that's where we go. So, so yeah, one of the things uh, I have in my first ever class in, in Baltimore, I had a NASA climate scientist. And you know how like the polar bears are the poster animal of, of sustainability and climate change. And because of the nature of the work that he did, he, he went to the Arctic and he had to learn in detail how to, in self-defense, kill a polar bear if it came to attack them, drag its carcass to the federal authorities to prove he wasn't trophy hunting. So he just felt that that was so silly and misaligned with, you know, like trying to save the world. So, um, yeah, that's one example of... (laughs) I think if anything, any scientists could do your course, you'd be doing them such a good favour because they have the, the goods, but some of them are so serious that it's very hard to convey it. They find it hard to convey because they... Don't want to, they want to dot every I and cross every T and they don't want to be quoted and misquoted and, you know, and so I think scientists need that, but also all of us need that and communications, very important. For me, the wake-up message that we got from Greta Thunberg, we just heard her, that very serious young girl, very po-faced, she didn't, didn't dance about at all, she just standing there with all her hats and gloves and everything, but she tells the richest people in the world, you are consciously destroying what we value. How can we avoid provoking a sort of resentful response, you know, a kind of a stop lecturing me kind of response? Absolutely. Um, And I think there's a landscape, like different voices are needed to tackle this, right, from different perspectives. The the one that I'm trying to nurture and grow with these lovely guys next to me is um, this thing about we're we're in it together. So um, one of the things we do in the very first class is 10 things I love about work and life, 10 things I uh, hate, 10 things I secretly love about the (laughs) things that I hate, 10 things I secretly hate about the things I love. And, And in writing those lists, we make sure that if you end up, so it's a brainstorm, you don't want it to be filtered. But in the second pass of it, notice if you if you specify any people. And if you do, turn it to the idea versus a people group. Because that's where we're, we're, we're trying to, as much as possible, build empathy, build connection. We're in this together. And here's some ideas that I thought about that are silly and not helping us. We're, we're trying to get to that space. Um, when I was in the UK, I saw I, I worked with uh, some activist groups, and I just found this like "you're doing it wrong" <laughs> um, aggressive tone was just not helpful. It, it's it just turns people off, and it burns out those people who are on fire. Um, so for me, this compassionate form of stand-up is a really healing way to um, regroup and, and build resilience for people who are passionate about this mm-hmm. stuff, but also to have people really want to listen to them because they're really engaging. Well, do you think Greta Thunberg, she says what we would really like to say ourselves. I would love to yeah. go up to the head of the United Nations and say, you are not doing enough. Oh, sure. Yeah, or yeah. you business people, you are making profits out of this. Yeah. We, we love, we identify with her. Is that it? Yeah. I mean, you know, comedy is speaking truth to power. It's like good comedy. And, and what we're adding to it is that compassionate side. So we definitely call out a few people we always um if we're going to punch we punch up so we never punched you know to people who have less power or whatever oh, groups see, that yeah. have less power um uh, and and definitely the the big ones i i'm very curious because we're just about to launch a uh, sustainable stand-up in brazil with bolsonaro um oh, and yes. so it's going to be a really interesting dynamic to see what it's like to work with sustainability people there given he's trying to raise the amazon and oh. you know like he has no problem using violence against oh, dissidents yeah. so uh, well a lot of yeah. people vote 
voted for him, but there's a lot of heroes there as well. Absolutely, yeah. Going back a century, you know, absolute yeah. heroes absolutely. in the Amazon. Look, now let's talk to Maxwell yeah. and Tedra Parler. What happens in your comedy workshops? Who's going to start, Maxwell? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I'm happy to start. Um, the comedy workshop is it's it's a great forum for kind of like get, getting rid of and letting go of some of that like dark energy and just like reinvigorating yourself with um with humor and positivity um just kind of what you were talking about earlier made me um remember that you know i i myself have as an activist been a victim of burnout and you know it can be really hard actually being open about that with other people about you know how you respond to that what you need to look after yourself but humor i find is a way where i can do that and kind of be a little bit uninhibited in saying you know how i really feel um and that's been a really useful tool for me so um in the workshops that we do in the shows um like one of the best things for me definitely has been you know getting together with other like-minded people who care about this stuff equally but with a mission to you know find the humor in it and engage other people in a way that um that, you know, they're going to enjoy and, and be able to relate to as well. Well, what, what is unleashed in the audience when you focus on compassionate comedy? Perhaps I'm good to has got to put on the headphones, but what do you what do you think is unleashed when you, you're calling it compassionate comedy? What do, what do they, how do they respond? Oh, partly it's just because it's funny. People open up a little bit more. Yeah. Like, I mean, I get in front of a group of people. I work for a religious organisation that works on climate change, and that doesn't sound funny. I mean, it doesn't sound funny on two fronts, right? Religious and climate change. Wow. Is that <laughs> and, you know, I say, well, it's kind of like the book of Revelations in reverse, you know, like there was going to be the end of the world. All these people came together, fixed it. <laughs> Spoiled our business model. Spoiled, yeah, you know, God's going, and what, then what are we going to do now? So... You know, that's, that's, you know, when you say that kind of thing and people light up, it's like, you know, when, when people light up a little bit, you can say a little bit more. So, you know, like one of, one of the lines I often say is, you know, yeah, I think we're going to win this thing with the Adani coal mine because can you visualize the Adani Corporation's logo? No, I didn't think so. <laughs> but I can visualize our logo, the Stop Adani logo, because it's absolutely everywhere, right? <laughs> and I've seen it, I've actually seen Stop Adani logos on earrings on a yeah. Catholic nun. <laughs> oh! But, you know, the, I think we should have a competition, by the way, while we're on the airport, the, the best place you can put a Stop Adani logo, I'm talking wedding cakes, <laughs> body piercings, just get creative people. Uh, because, you have fun with it like that. I mean, think about, I mean, say someone like um, John Oliver, he does this all the time. He'll put a, he'll, he'll go, why don't you just do something funny with this? And the whole world goes, that's awesome, because he has that power, I wish. Uh, so, you know, but when that happens, people light up. People will actually, a different part of your mind engages. Mm-hmm. I think that's the point, isn't it? I mean, you can have this very doer kind of approach, and it's important to be serious, but it also can, a certain kind of seriousness can make your mindset a little bit heavy and a little bit kind of foc- uh, focused in a slightly narrow way. So I think that's what happens is people kind of feel a bit more able to respond in a more creative manner themselves. Yeah, just mentioning the religious people, I, I one of the funniest things I heard was a woman, she said, well, just imagine the world is like a rental property and God comes down to you know, check you know, how you've been treating the property and he says, what have you done to my barrier reef? Where's all these rivers I had there? They were perfect. Yeah. The glaciers, I had them all nicely organised and what are you doing? And you get ticked off roundly by God. But, yeah, yeah you know, we have to find some jokes in it. But... 
What, who else has got something <laughs> to say? Uh-huh. I've got one more question. I want to hear about alternatives to gloom and doom because I think journalists just go into automatic when they see climate change, oh, another climate change, gloom and doom. And people use that cliche, gloom and doom, as if there's not another two rhyming words we can use in this subject. What do you think? What's something funny that you can say alternatively? Good question. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not a fan of doom and gloom. I think it, you know, breeds uh, disempowerment. And, you know, as you were talking about before, when, um, you know, that's what breeds uh, defensiveness as well. Like when, you know, you, you can't really start talking about the issue because people know how, how serious it is. I think the media's got a lot to answer for in that department. But um, Go for it. Go for it. We're the alternative here and we're very small. Yeah, but look, just as an activist, like I've found that, um, you know, if you can you can greet a person uh, with like a, you know, a funny quip or, or, or a, um, a friendly joke instead of uh, instead of like a, you know, a really serious like, do you want to stop destroying the world? Um, then, yeah, definitely that works a whole lot better. Well, what's come up in the workshops? What What are some of the stand-up comedies that, that we're going to see at the Sustainable Living Festival? Can you tell me some of the stories or some of the funny things that are going to be said? Sure. I'm um, going on Saturday, but there's plenty of shows that people can choose from. I don't want to give away all my jokes, though. No, no, uh, <laughs> but look, um, my, my, my set covers uh, like a range of topics. Um, uh, life as a, as a, as a ranger. Um, and, you know, dealing with climate change when you know that your people are about to become extinct um, to, uh, you know, burnout and, you know, how I've dealt with burnout, uh, mostly through, you know, watching movies and, and taking, um, you know, introducing some, f- some funny, wacky characters in there. Um, and also about my, my veganism, uh, you know, which is something that I've definitely found no one really wants to talk about. Like you try and bring it up and they're like, no, don't lecture us again. Um, So, but you know, it's a comedy show. So there's none of that. There's no lecturing. It's just, it's just all gags. Okay. What about Belina? Can you tell us some of the success stories, some of your stars? Uh, yeah, with pleasure. So, so there was this fabulous lady who was based in um, Canberra. Who uh, I do a pre-survey, kind of just tell me mm. about your life. And and her her thing that she wanted me to know before she started the course was, I hope I don't throw up on stage. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then after we ran the first course, I said, you know, like what was what was profound or useful for you? And she said, um, uh, before she, her, she was doing a PhD on the uh, environmental degradation of a certain Aboriginal area. And she said, every time I would talk about my PhD before this course, I'd cry. And she said that this course gave her the ability to find the lightness to keep going. And then we ran a level two. And um, it was to lead into the Fringe. So we, we did six sold-out shows in the Fringe. Very proud of that. And she uh, said, yes, I'm in. Uh, she said, I don't want to worry you, but um, I have been diagnosed with PTSD, but I still want to do this course. And what I love is that's not a logical thing because comedy is you know traditionally stressful and whatever. Mm. And she found it so healing that <laughs> it was worth it. Even with PTSD, we had some other people with depression that there's something about finding this lightness, this lens Mm. that is really healing. Uh, Somebody else in the course, uh, she brought this beautiful dynamic of, of like, you know, for us, we're, we're really trying to do good in the world, you know, but we are morally inconsistent. So, you know, like you guys were talking about flying earlier. I f- have flown an awkward amount of miles <laughs> to be as part of the Sustainable Living Festival. I'm based in Berlin. Um, so, like, we, we, with the best of, of intentions, sometimes we are morally inconsistent. And Jane was talking about, you know, like, why is it that somehow there's a psychology of, 
if you're trying really hard but you're morally inconsistent, that's worse than not trying at all. You know, she, she talked about an interaction she had, you know, like uh, um, where, you know, yeah, I'm a vegetarian. I'm trying to reduce my impact on the earth. And, and a guy named Anthony goes, yeah, but you have leather shoes. <laughs> And it is sort of like, and, and I love that she called out the psychology of like, why, why is it that, you know, like he's, Anthony's better when he doesn't even try versus yeah. like us who are really trying, but have certain things that we know are inconsistent. Okay. Teja Pala, can I ask you just one more question? You're an activist. Um, you said, I think you've yeah. done a lot of life in action. Look, emissions are rising in our, all the adults in this room, in our lifetime, the emissions are rising and rising and it's terribly frightening because sure. it's rich countries like us that are fueling that, and especially coal exporting countries like Australia, gas exporting countries like us are knowingly doing this, you know, just trying to make the profit while it lasts. What's your take on that? Well, my take on it is that I think Greta Thunberg, going back to that, is actually absolutely right. It's not, I mean, yeah, we individuals are doing a fair amount, but an awful lot of it comes down to a couple of companies. And, you know, Adani is obviously one of them. And, you know, what I'm seeing amazing collective organising at the moment. Um, the most impressive ones, I think, in the whole, for a very long time, was the kids' strike. That's coming up again on March the 15th. It's going to, it's in, going to be in 40 countries. Um, it's going to be in 160 locations across Australia. And when you get kids going out on strike, I mean, did you, did you see the, the, the placards they were holding up? You know, things like I've seen smarter cabinets at Ikea. And, you know, um, my favourite one was mess with, our, mess with the climate and we'll mess with your pension. Mm. You know, like, I mean, they, you know, and, and one for Scott Morrison getting an education and handing you one. And, you know, when, when you've got 15,000 school kids just going out there and just laughing in the face of the Prime Minister, and it's going to be a lot bigger next time. I think it's important, you know, like you, you can, you can organise and you can do it with a sense of humour. And actually, it's way more powerful. So I, I just I do see yes it's it's a it's a frightening time but it's also a time when people are coming together and that gives me a lot of a lot of encouragement. Yeah, Max. It's a crisisunity, as it were. Mm. You know, like we're in the midst of a crisis, but it's also our our greatest opportunity to you know build um, build powerful social movements for change. Um, you know, bring our communities together and actually become stronger and more resilient together than we are. Currently, you know, where where capitalism, neoliberalism has, you know, made us all, you know, very individualized and such. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be some corporate takedowns in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we 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 uh, we hold no punches. <laughs> Can you give us a hint who you're taking down? <laughs> Starts with A. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on, that's <laughs> ends with Donnie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, we go to A to Z as well, like. <laughs> Yeah, no one is safe, no, put it that way. That's right. I had one person from Bangladesh here, a climate scientist, is that there are 90 corporations, they are climate criminals. And I just, Kurt and I are going to do a show later on, aren't we? Could follow the money. We're going to try and do a bit of real journalism here. Oh, but good one. That's um, for the future. Okay, thank you very much. If you want to see their show, it's at the Butterfly Club. And uh, Belina, would you just tell us? Um, sure, you it, know, it's February 6th, 7th, 8th and 9th, and yes. they're all from 7 to 8 o'clock. And it's at the Butterfly Club. That's And we do tend to, like, sell out <laughs> um, yes. uh, a lot. So if they could get their tickets. Yeah, yeah. we open in two days. So, oh, you know, yeah. get on it. Get online at Sustainable Living Festival and um, go to this, the uh, thing. It's called Stand Up. Sustainable Stand Up. Sustainable Stand Up. Thank you very much. All right, we're going to have a quick little break. And after the break, we'll talk to Tom Robb. Thanks. I am I am selling on the 
I just think that it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio? Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun. Which way the wind blows. Such an enjoyable show. We're talking about Sustainable Living Festival and I've got some of the stars in here, plus two other stars from a different uh, sort of theatre of action but very theatrical all the same. The next person is Tom Robb. His show is called There's No Planet B. And I don't think he's a comedian. He's not all the time into this theatrical thing, but he does go around motivating people. And I'd like to welcome you, Tom. You're on at the Butterfly Club tonight, so we're going to have to be quite quickly. I can't believe how cool you are just sitting there when I would be out on the tram right now. Oh, it's around the corner. <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> um, OK, I'd better tell the listeners where it is. Five Carson Place, if you want to go there tonight. He's got four other shows, but tonight it's at um, Carson Place at 7 o'clock. So, look, what, what is There's No Planet B? What's it about? Uh, so, basically, we are running through uh, energy, food, water, waste and consumption. And it's, you know, all of the stats and then on top of that, all of the solutions that we can do both collectively and individually um, to, to try and fix this place up. But within that, it looks at transition streets. So, you know, the idea behind that is you would go in one street, house to house, and mm-hmm. try and get everyone to sort of do these sustainable practices. So, for instance, if you had, you know, a block of 12 units, then you would think you would have 12 lawnmowers, but maybe you could just have one lawnmower and just kind of rotate who does their lawns. One person could have some chickens, so all the compost goes there. It's about, you know, bringing community together and going, right, well, we work in the same place. We can take one car instead of three, all of the things like that. So... It's just about, I think, looking at it as simplistically as possible and then trying to kind of explain it in a humorous kind of fashion just because, you know, just like you guys were saying, that's that's what gets through to people. You can't yell and scream and, and get angry because it's mm. not – it doesn't work. And also there's a few steps in between being a person who's living in a unit and someone who goes to vote on Monday. You know, there's steps in between and that consciousness that they get and the camaraderie that I imagine they get living in that transition street – might make them vote differently too and get different big outcomes. Mm. And I think with that as well, you know, if you think of like the Wi-Fi symbol and you've got world, country, state, city, street, houses, we always start from the bottom individual when we try and go right to the top, you know, where you've got Morrison and Gillard and Abbott and those people just, they don't really care, I don't think. They're Mm. they're not connected to the land and I don't think even if they woke up and their bed was floating in water that they'd even start funding (laughs) a few things. So... You know, I think if, because we're the consumers, like if we are the ones individually that go street to street, house to house, um, you know, suburb to suburb, then eventually something's got to give and these people will start sort of um, 
changing. Yeah, it's catching on. One of my relatives lives down at Torquay and they've got a sustainability street and they're all into sharing plants, I think. Yeah. And they're all getting solar panels and it, and they talk about it. They go and have meetings about it and they all feel good. Yeah. So I think, what's you know, it's good. Look, um, I think on your show you're going to tell some of the stories of Transition Street. So would you just like to tell us one of them? Give us an example. Uh, oh, my goodness. There's so many they run, you know, barbecues every week. There's so many streets now in Geelong where I'm based normally uh, that it happens. I think the coolest thing is coming together on like a fortnightly basis and then just saying what you've done in that fortnight to be more sustainable. And so the the biggest probably three or four would be, you know, the communal driving, um, you know, f- sharing food, doing dinners and stuff like that. And then at every meetup, there's, you know, an educational side to it where we just learn more and more and more so that c- collectively we can move forward and keep going to people's houses. Because if you haven't got, I guess, the education behind you to sort of say, well, here's why it's happening, what we yeah. need to do, then it doesn't really work as well. So th- I think together we can individually. It's a little hard. So, And mm. that sounds a lot more healthy than just burning out and going quietly crazy, isn't it? Completely. Mm. We're all about... I guess, coming together and showing people these documentaries for free that are out there. I think we're very visual people. And so the problem is with sustainability practices, if you try and explain this stuff to any child or adult yeah. and say, look, we've really got to start making a change here, they look around and go, what are you talking about? This place looks amazing. <laughs> you know, There's nothing they can even see. And it, in other countries, it's, it's rife. But in Australia, I think we're very lucky and fortunate to live in a beautiful country and... What we know is that destruction causes change. You know, in my presentation for high school students, we talk about, you know, drug and alcohol abuse and these people that are drink drivers or drug takers, and they don't actually stop doing that until they've either almost killed somebody or themselves. So it's almost like if we're not directly impacted, then we just think we're invincible. Mm. And we want to we tackle this now before we wake up in the morning and go, oh, no, it's too late. We should have done this, mm. you know, years and years ago. Mm. Oh, this is a huge psychological problem because all of us have done essays, I'm sure, and you always leave it. I, I leave the production of this show until nearly the last minute. I'm thinking about it for months before, <laughs> but, you know, comes the day, then I'm ready. But that can't be do, done with climate change. So, look, um, emissions are still rising. Some people think a change in government will fix things. I think carbon rations would engage everyone at least we'd all be at least on the same ration even no matter how much, how wealthy we are but what are you thinking what what is your big solution i i actually like to keep it as simple as possible um i've actually i bought this in just because it's been a while since i've done this presentation but uh you know we've got 50,000 coffee cups in australia used every half an hour 36,000 kilograms of clothes are thrown out every hour um 10 million plastic bags a day, you know, all of these things can just be stopped by not doing that simply. And I I don't know why it seems like it's so difficult for people to change, but if we just bought our canvas bags, got ourselves a keep cup, made sure that every single thing that we did, um, you know, I guess was heading towards fixing these problems, then we we wouldn't need to focus on the big things. I guess that's that's what it is. If, If we spend all our time fixing these little things and the big things might not even be a problem in the first place well as kurt said before restraint you know instead of being complicit in the system you have some restraint you say well i don't have to do it no one's forcing me to buy x number of new shoes every year yeah and if we can't if we don't know what's going on i mean i didn't do this forever i was never as sustainable as i am now but i think five years ago when it all started i was in the supermarket and i had a handful of groceries that i could have just taken to the car 
and I was going to get a plastic bag, don't hate me. <laughs> and the, the checkout bloke leant over the counter and said, uh, mate, would you like a dolphin strangler with that? And I was like, whoa, no, I don't want a dolphin strangler. And that was all he said to make me think about it and go, oh, I'm never doing this ever again. Yeah. And so little things like that. You know, really help. Yeah, language, isn't it? No, oh, words are Concept, huge. Concept, isn't it? For yeah, sure. It's just funny. Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. All right, look, please look up Tom's show on uh, the Sustainable Living Festival. It's called There Is No Planet B. He's on tonight at the Butterfly Club. I don't think you can get there. I hope he can get there by 7 o'clock. Easy. Um, <laughs> he's so cool. But anyway, uh, he's got plenty of other shows. Do you want to – don't tell us all the venues. They're all over the place, aren't they? But – but just Sustainable Living Festival, yeah, so which five, dates, you know? Five venues uh, all over Feb, and the yeah. dates are... So one's tonight. Get to that if you're floating around. That would be epic. And then the 11th, <laughs> the 12th, the 19th, and the 26th of, February. of Feb. And they're on the website for the National Sustainable Living Festival. Okay. So good. So Tom, Tom, Tom's um, thing is about living better, isn't it? You're, I think you're a deep person. You're sort of into sort of yeah, wellness. Practising being the best person you can possibly be, but without being in competition with anybody else. <laughs> good. So look out for There's No Planet B. And thank you so much, Tom, for coming in. No and, worries. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Off you go quickly to the <laughs> no worries. I'll see I'm you I'm kicking later. you out. <laughs> we'll see you later. Righto. Thanks again. Good. Okay. I think we can have it. We've got time for a little bit of a break and our next guest is going to be Miriam Robinson. Now she's not a, a Sustainable Living Festival star but she's from Grey Power, Climate Protectors and collectively out there if you believe in street theatre that is what they're going to be doing. They're going to be hitting the streets and getting all sorts of superannuated people like myself motivated and uh, mobilised. Cyclones Cast is pretty grim. change. Do you ever feel like just switching off? Well, don't. Switch on to Beyond Zero Emissions Community Radio Show every Monday at 5pm on 3CR and beat the doom and gloom to find out the latest actions and research in your community. BZE Radio at 5pm on Monday. Turn the tide, literally. We are back back at the... um a 3CR studio, but our minds are on the Sustainability Living Festival and this year ahead, which is full of climate action. So I'd like to thank Miriam for coming into the studio and I think she's got a terrific idea with others to get senior citizens involved in action. They've got time and plenty of skills. Some have money as well. And cars. So we've got to get them to use those things for the better good, not just put their hand on their heart and say, I'm so sorry for my children and my grandchildren. Just get active and let's see what happens. As Tom said, you never know what will happen. Miriam, what motivates your climate protectors? Well, it's a lot of things. I think um, certainly some of the activists I've been working with over the last couple of years have been of a certain age, let's say, and most of them talk about their grandchildren. Uh, I think a lot of people, when they're younger and they're bringing up their own kids, they haven't got time, they're running around, they've got jobs, they've got all the other things going on that makes life so busy. But once the grandchildren come along and they start to realise that their grandchildren might not actually have a planet to grow up in, then I think it really hits home. That's one of the big motivators for a lot of people. Well, I've been very moved by Greta Thunberg, as I'm telling everybody, and the school strike for climate, which she started, just one person she started, we've all perhaps seen the poster of her sitting out there in the cold, 
And I agree with her that we are borrowing or even stealing the future from the next generations. And so why do so many retired people live live such a high-carbon lifestyle? I meet people who say, oh, I'm just fulfilling my bucket list. And off they go on another cruise. They don't get yeah. the carbon footprint of it. Absolutely right. I think a lot of um, people that you'd call the baby boomers, when certainly I'm well into my 50s now and uh, just at the tail end of the baby boom, most people are a bit older than me. But when we were growing up, it wasn't a thing. Um, people in the 70s were starting to be a bit concerned about the environment. There was, you know, there was the old Save the Whales and Greenpeace was just getting going, but people didn't know about climate change. The only people who knew about it was a very small handful of scientists. Didn't really start hitting the mainstream until the Rio Earth Summit in the 90s and then Al Gore's movie in 2005 6. So a lot of people really didn't know. And you've got to remember, you know, if you've seen The Mad Men, the TV show, the advertising, our generation grew up sitting in front of the TV. And we were bombarded with images since early childhood. Consume, eat, go to the movies, happiness is an armful of shopping bags. We just didn't, really didn't know. But a lot of people have begun to realise now that that, that lifestyle um, is not uh, going to end in a, in a good place at all. Well, the advertising industry hasn't realised that. They are still pumping out advertising at seniors. People in my age group, they're saying, oh, you can go and have medical trips to Thailand to get your teeth fixed or you can do all sorts of marvellous things with your money aiming to get as much money out of me before I die. I feel it. And even for the next generation who might be buying a house, oh, well, you could have a tree change and go up to Bellingen and you could have off-grid living. You could even have a veggie patch. And the people are just almost swooning as the real estate agent tells them how gorgeous this is going to be. Imagine a veggie patch on about a 1,000 acres of land that's been cleared of whatever forest was there before. Ridiculous. All advertising. Indeed. Um, you, a lot of advertising of uh, retired people smiling, looking happy, drinking champagne on some kind of a cruise ship oh, or yes, something like yes. this. is supposed to be what we aspire to. There were a lot of people when I was growing up. My father's um, friends were hippies and were starting to live in the bush and make A-frame houses and make their own clothes and all those sorts of things. They were considered very weird back then. But now um, a lot of the young kids are doing that. They're making their own clothes. They're growing their own food. It's become stylish and hip and cool and obviously necessary for survival. But a lot of the mainstream people just really didn't know what they were doing. Mm. Well, your Grey Power Climate Protectors Group is going to inspire and train older Australians. I think a lot of them would need training because they would probably think, oh, I've never said boo to anyone in authority in my whole life. I've worked in the public service and I've just been so good and I wouldn't like to offend anyone. You know, and they might, it might be the niceness that you'd have to overcome and now you're telling them to do bold, non-violent action and change the politics that is blocking a transition to low-carbon living and no more coal, oil and gas. How yeah. are you going to do that? Yeah, that's the plan. There's a lot of people who have as we were saying before, become concerned, become realised, become aware of the problem, but they don't really know what to do. They see these terrific images of young folk chaining themselves to coal trains and and the like, and a lot of them think, gosh, I really should be doing more, but I can't do that. I've got a bad leg, I've got a bad knee, <laughs> uh, you know, I can't, I can't be sitting out in the sun. So what we're planning to do is to train people up on how to do some somewhat less threatening, non-violent direct action um, than actually having to go and train themselves out to a train. Maybe they'll get to that later. Um, I've been, I've, we've been doing some work um, with a couple of activist groups like Galilee Blockade, and a lot of people have done some things for the first time that they've never done before, like go and sit down in the um, office of one of their MPs and refuse to leave, even when the police arrive. 
and it's it's great to see their speaking of um, being lighthearted and fun. You should see their little faces light up. They're absolutely giddy as children. Um, afterwards, it can get a bit serious at the time, but afterwards they're laughing and they 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 really come alive. And it is actually quite fun and not as hard as it looks to do some actions that are disruptive, but um, not necessarily particularly strenuous. And you don't have to get arrested unless uh, that's your thing. So the idea is to train them, get them engaged, give them some ideas of things that they can do that will be effective but are not quite as scary as they probably thought it was going to be. Mm, Okay, well, all luck to you and convoy up to Adani and Allied um, coal mines. Good on you. But listen, we know we're in a media environment which is pretty vicious, including the social media environment. I looked up some social media and I found this comment about your group. Some person said, old people are now banging on about a problem they have caused. They own all the houses, most of the wealth, and now they want my generation to fix the problem. No, I want to live like they did. This is just hypocritical. (laughs) What do you say to that? Well, a lot of it's easy to blame the consumer for having consumed all these goods that have been pushed down their throats for all these generations. Now, sure, you could say that older folk were complicit and they've had this generous lifestyle, they've got the big house, they've got the car, they've got the you know, refrigerators and, and air conditioning, all that sort of thing, that perhaps young children, young kids these days are not going to be able to have such a nice lifestyle. But this is one of the things that the industry and the corporation does is point the finger around and use guilt, pointing at the consumers. They don't point the finger at themselves and say, well, we're the ones who've been making all these plastic bottles to sell you water in. We're the ones who invented the plastic bag. You know, when I was a child, plastic bags weren't invented. Who invented them? Who makes them? Who sells them? Who profits? The petrochemical industry profits because plastic is a byproduct of petrochemicals. So it's all very well to point the finger of blame. There's a good saying um, that I quite like, which is, Uh, don't fix the blame, fix the problem. So rather than waste time saying whose fault it is and trying to work out who to blame, let's just get on and all work together, young people, old people, everybody in between, and fix it. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, you want another speaker. You are, Miriam. You should be a stand-up. And someone from your group is actually at the Sustainable Living Festival, a, a retired accountant, accountancy teacher. Uh, what was her name? Audrey? Audrey Cook, the so-called badass granny. You might have seen her <laughs> on social media. She's becoming quite notorious <laughs> these days. She looks as nice as anything. She's anyway, very nice. <laughs> and she's at a, in a, a session called Accidental Activists. So please go along to that at Sustainable Living Festival. Now we have to really hurry on because we've got Anna Langford here and this is like um, we're squashing everything into the last minute but I'm really glad she, pleased she could come up here from Friends of the Earth. She's now working at the other end of the age spectrum with uh, school kids and she's doing a training next Saturday, February the 9th in a workshop called Get Shit Done. It's at RMIT Building 13 and that's at 405 Russell Street. So take note if you're a school student. And it's from 11am till 4.30. So welcome, Anna. Tell us a bit about yourself first. Oh, first, I'm so glad you had all that <laughs> info written down about get yeah. shit done because I <laughs> I totally forgot all the specifics. I was just going to be like, uh, it's at RMIT during the day. <laughs> um but yeah, I, um, I I just finished high school a couple of years ago, but I've uh, been volunteering at Friends of the Earth since I was 16. And um, the first campaign I joined was the fracking ban campaign, which was uh, successful a few years ago and which I think is just one of the most incredible stories um, that's yeah. part of Australia and Victoria's environment yeah. movement. 
Um, and this training that's coming up on Saturday, a couple of us campaigners at Faux got together and wanted to organise because um, we did we did run one last year, um, but you know that was kind of more just like for anyone for adults, and yeah. um, we were so inspired by the school strike um, that we thought we we really wanted to offer all of the skills that we have as campaigners um, to them to do whatever they want with really like yeah. take them. Um, wherever they want so that they can keep the momentum going. Um, so it's things like media training, um, yeah, like sp- speaking to media, um, releases, that sort of thing, and planning actions, running groups, um, yeah, whatever they tell us they want to learn, really. Yeah, I think we've got something to be proud of in Australia too about this school strike because I, I saw the YouTubes from Katowice, Poland, COP and they were these um, dissenting panels and they spoke about the school strikes and they said around the world this has been happening but in Australia 29,000 students have participated so there's something in the air here where we're ashamed of our government who goes to the same conference and sort of doesn't want to sign off on the IPCC report just yes let's just mention it but not recognize it or some nonsense with words like really something to be ashamed of and here are our students saying no get real who we are out on the street so you're going to be you know helping them with the skills that you know now I would like to know what are some of the goals and expectations that a group like that could have apart from just going on strike once a week what else could they do um yeah so that's kind of where we came up with the idea for the training for because it's amazing that the momentum is being kept up with the global school strike being planned and um more protests like that but um, we know that in the long term, um, we need like continuous um, action being taken in between those sorts of things, um, which is you know things like being organised in local groups and um, focusing on local issues for things you want to change that are part of the broader story um, yeah. of the climate crisis, um, and that's what our campaigns do at Friends of the Earth. Like, for example, that's what we did with the ban on fracking and the Victorian Renewable Energy Target, just local things um, that we can make change, um, that we can make a change at and then affect, yeah, the overall picture. And um, there's a lot of skills you need um, to do that sort of thing. Um, And so we want to share whatever we have from our experience with them. Which is a treasure trove. You know, Friends of the Earth have a load to share. Well, look, I go to a lot of climate events and conferences and often there is no other media there except me from 3CR, I'm alternative radio and there's me and all these important things are being said and there's no one else reporting on it and I wonder what ways can these young people get a voice in the mainstream media, how can they crack through the ceiling Um, Well just from what I've seen um, I actually think they've been able to get their voices heard in this amazing fresh way um, in the mainstream media because um yeah, they've kind of been this missing piece of the story that's been needed for such a long time. Um, and, you know, things happen like uh, Facebook yesterday accidentally um, cancelling all of the, yeah, inverted commas, um, all of the school strike Facebook events and then just, you know, giving them a bit of extra <laughs> awesome free publicity. Um, but, yeah, I've I've been... It's been really exciting to see groups like the school strikers and the um, grey power movement um, 
that's been able to get media attention in, in this new way. Yes, and grandparents can go to the school strike with their grandchildren uh, on a day out, can't they? Yeah. It's, <laughs> well, the parents are at work. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really beautiful um, bringing together of those two opposite ends um, yeah. of the age spectrum. Well, look, I think a lot of people are tired of writing to MPs and signing petitions. These are the standard way of doing things and they're honourable, but how is Friends of the Earth approach, how is their approach different? Um, so we really like we really value working with communities. Um, like we work with a lot of rural communities all over the state um, in our campaigns over the last few years to yeah. connect with them over the issues um, that are really hitting their front line um, of climate change because often climate change can seem like this really distant thing. Um, uh, even though, you know, we know it is here and now for a lot of people, um, it is still a distant thing that's either in the future or in the polar ice caps. Um, yeah. And with things like the fracking ban campaign, um, we we sort of, we had to find this new language to speak to people in, in these areas um, where climate change wasn't on people's radars. So instead the story became about protecting people's food and water and farmland and that sort of thing. Um and it's actually uh, there's kind of some new developments in that um, area because the Victorian government is currently considering opening up the whole southwest coast to offshore gas exploration. Um, and so we've been working. We've uh, I've just come back this weekend from a trip down the southwest coast to connect up with these old groups that were from the fracking ban campaign to get re-energized. Yeah. Um, over this issue and we've found that um after we've been working for them now for working with them now for like five six years um we are able to start bringing climate directly into that conversation fantastic and there'll be kids down there too who can get on board with this you can spread the word out that way well look you've also got an event at sustainable living festival with lee eubank um what is that about yeah so on friday afternoon at four o'clock um Lee is our Act on Climate campaign coordinator and he's giving a talk called Victoria's Rising Story and it's about the current and future climate impacts that are facing Victoria and some immediate intervention points that we can jump in and, um, yeah, like create change at, and sort of direct Victoria to um, take stronger action on climate. So one of those is, um, for example, the emissions reduction targets that the Victorian government has to set as part of the Victorian Climate Change Act. Um, they have to set those within the next uh, two years. And so we need to jump in now and push for really ambitious targets um, to get Victoria on track to zero net emissions by 2050. Mm. Um, so yeah, he'll be talking about that and some of the frontline communities in Victoria already dealing with climate change. Well, look, we've got everybody still in the studio. We've got a few minutes to, to spare, but I'd just like to come back to Miriam because she told me a story about when she had a sort of moment of realisation up in Mildura. Could you just tell us that? And then I'd like to ask the others, would they just like to make a finishing comment or a pitch for your show or whatever? Sure. Well, I was saying um, earlier that um, we didn't, my generation didn't really know that climate change was a problem. A lot of the younger people have grown up with it, but it only began to dawn on people. It really stuck home to me. I was working in the Department of Primary Industries in the Victorian government in the noughties during the millennium drought. And one of, our, one, of, one of the projects I was working on was trying to educate farmers about 
climate change and how to get prepared and what to do and what was going on. And things really changed for me, I think, part, partly from doing that project, but also we flew up to flew up to Mildura um, to go and give a talk up there to farmers. And I was in a taxi from the airport to where we were going to go and give the talk. And we drove past mile after mile after mile of dead grapevines because they'd had this brilliant idea to grow grapes um, in Mildura, which always used to be great. But then the millennium drought came and wiped out all of them. As far as the eye could see, there was nothing but dead grapes. And that was one of those really scary, it was one of those apocalyptic scenes. It was like something out of a movie. And from talking to all these farmers and learning all the facts and explaining all the facts to the farmers and then seeing it with my own eyes, that was when the penny really dropped for me. Okay. Anyone else for a comment? Um, it's Benina. such an honour. I love that your show exists. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we do too. <laughs> um, for me, it, there was a real shift when I saw um, Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth. Because, But for not the same reason that most people. For me, I noticed that I was sitting in the theatre at the end and I thought, I want to get into a Hummer and go shopping while it's all still here. <laughs> like that, that was my oh. visceral response. Oh. And I thought, wow. <laughs> so isn't this interesting that everything yes. he's saying is incredibly important and yet it's putting me in the wrong part of my brain. It's putting me in the most selfish, yeah. aggressive part of my brain. And that's when I decided I'm going to go... Um, specifically into sustainability with improvisation because it's a technology, it's a love technology, it's a secret love technology. I'm about to (laughs) to, um, launch a book called Using Improv to Save the World and Me, in parentheses. Um, And uh, like that, I think anything that we can do to go for love instead of fear is is the key thing at this point that's going to really help us. Wow. I think we'll have to end there. Has anyone else got a burning comment? I just... Like how um, Bellino was inspired by Al Gore's film, An Inconvenient Truth. Um, Because I was inspired by a film as well, but a different film uh, when I was a bit younger. And I watched Ice Age 2, The Meltdown. That just (laughs) freaked me out. And I was a sworn activist from then on. And now it's happening in Chicago. Have you seen the photos beyond below 50 degrees? Incredible. Okay, look, I have to hurry now. So, listeners, please keep next weekend free for the Sustainable Living Festival if you're in Melbourne. Um, beyond Zero Emissions has a stall along the Yarra and so does Friends of the Earth and lots and lots of other groups. Come over and talk to us about opportunities to take action. I'd like to thank Kurt and Roger for their part in this tonight's show and our guests, Belina Raffi, Maxwell Smith and Ted Rapala Roll from Rawls from Sustainable Stand-Up and then we had Tom Robb from There's No Planet B, Miriam Robinson from Grey Power and Anna Langford from Friends of the Earth. Uh, don't forget they, their event for the high school student is called Get Shit Done and that's on next Saturday. To finish, I just got a tiny little message from the CEO of Beyond Zero Emissions because it fits in with what we uh, have been talking about. This is her um, opening for 2019 and I think it's a message to all of us. We are worried about our land and its ability to sustain us. Indigenous people are enduring a spiritual and cultural loss as waters dry. Do we need two heads? One focused on the work we need to do and the hope that goes with it and the other that contemplates the grief of climate change. You bring your focused head to work and single-mindedly work on the solutions and you try to park your climate grief far away. I know I'm not alone in finding it harder to push the grief to one side. So I'd like to acknowledge every single person who feels this grief 
and yet continues to front up to work to keep pushing for climate solutions with hope and determination. This is leadership and this is courage and I thank you with all my heart. Beyond Zero Emissions continues to inspire and show what's possible. Our time is now. So I could extend that to all of you here and all of you listeners who listen to this program because you are also activists. Thank you very much for listening and uh, we'll see you next week with a program about Katowice. Beyond Zero Emissions is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero emissions economy. As climate change action becomes an emergency, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero emissions energy, zero emissions exports and industry, zero emissions transport, zero emissions buildings and zero emissions land use. Podcasts of our shows contain a who's who of community action and climate solutions. They're all available on the web at bze.org.au. We'd love your ideas for this show, so contact us at radioteam at bze.org.au or even write to us, care of Radio 3CR, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, Victoria. You can make that attention, BZE Radio.